Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. I'm David. I'm Scott. This is episode number 31. Scott. Episode 31. 31. It's fantastic. We've had a great time doing this. It's a lot of fun for us. It's always encouraging for us to get to hear from you guys that, that you're enjoying it and benefiting from it as well. So thanks for your feedback. Yeah. So last time we were together, uh, Scott will summarize us, you know, get us caught up in just a minute. The last time we were together, we mentioned uh, devotionals. And I mentioned that there was a devotional that I liked that I couldn't remember the name of. And uh, so we wanted to come back around. The name of that book that I was trying to remember last time is Glimpses of a Greater Glory. The subtitle is A Devotional Through the Storyline of the Bible. It's by a guy named David H. Kim. Hmm. And uh, it's a 31-day devotional. It just looks through select passages from all across the scriptures, kind of walks you through the big picture storyline of the Bible wow. over the course of 31 days. It's really cool. Man, that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. The oh. only the only knock that I had against it. Oh, it's even got pictures. Yeah, so the pictures are actually the knock that I have against it because oh. they're they're like really old, like famous portraits of oh. scenes of the Bible. Oh. And so like a couple of them uh Picture Adam and Eve without fig leaves. Oh, yes. But so if that's if that's troubling for you, maybe maybe you know be mindful of that. Yeah. So maybe this doesn't happen during family time. Yeah. Right? Maybe put don't pull this out during family devotionals. Yeah. But but hey, I mean some yeah. great stuff. Unless you just want to answer some questions. Yeah, you probably don't want to answer those questions. Oh, but cool. but yeah, I I found it to be a really cool devotional and um, yeah, really enjoyed it. That's awesome. Good. The entire, the entire storyline of the Bible. In the course of 31 days. Wow. So, yeah, that's fun. Oh. So, yeah. Oh, good. All right. So, we're moving through uh, the second chapter of Baxter's Reformed Pastor. And the last couple of weeks, uh, we've just did on the nature of ministry and how we do this work that it is that, that God has called us to do. And first, uh, when, last, when we last left off, the first thing we talked about was that it was to be done reverently. And just this deep appreciation of what the work is and how valuable it is. And then after that was was spiritually, and then uh, the idea that that it's God who equips us, mm. that we don't have to come across as clever or particularly skilled uh, because we are trusting in the Lord to be the one who equips us for the work. And so to remember uh, that ministry at its core is a supernatural, spiritual work. And, uh, and so that was kind of where we left off, and we are now on point 13 in chapter 2 of Baxter's Reformed Pastor. And uh, David is going to read for us and get us going in the right direction. All right. If you would prosper in your work, be sure to keep up earnest desires and expectations of success. If your hearts be not set on the end of your labors, and you long not to see the conversion and edification of your hearers and do not study and preach in hope, you are not likely to see much success. As it is a sign of a false, self-seeking heart that can be content to be still doing and yet see no fruit of his labor, so I have observed that God seldom blesseth any man's work so much as his whose heart is set upon the success of it. Let it be the property of a Judas to have more regard to the bag than to his work and not to care much for what they pretend to care, and to think if they have their salaries 
and the love and commendations of their people, they have enough to satisfy them. Hmm. But let all who preach for Christ and men's salvation be unsatisfied till they have the thing they preached for. He never had the right ends of a preacher who is indifferent whether he obtained them and is not grieved when he misseth them and rejoiceth when he can see the desired issue. When a man doth only study what to say and how with commendation to spend the hour and looks no more after it, unless it be to know what people think of his abilities and thus holds on from year to year, I must needs think that this man doth preach for himself and not for Christ. Even when he preacheth Christ, how excellently soever he may seem to do it. No wise or charitable physician is content to be always giving psychic, physic, physic, and to see no amendment among his patients, but to have them all die upon his hands. Nor will any wise and honest schoolmaster be content to be still teaching, though his scholars profit not by his instructions. But both of them would rather be weary of the employment. Hmm. So it's about what your goals are in ministry, right? So what Baxter's talking through here is what are you after? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, the man, the line, when he says, um, let it be the property of Judas to have much regard. And then he says, and to think if they have their salaries and the love and commendations of their people, they have enough to satisfy them. Hmm. Man, it's easy to fall into that trap. So when this goes live, we will be just a couple of weeks removed from the the Doctrine of the Church sermon that we do every year. And uh, and as we're recording this, that's the sermon that I'm currently writing, currently working on to preach, right? And the, the whole motive behind the sermon that we preached this year, was, which was to be a church that gets out into the community, is, is really a, a measure of self-awareness as a leader. How easy it is to do just this, to think that if we have our salaries and love accommodations of our people, we have enough to satisfy us. Mm. That we can very easily think, you know, my work is is just church folks. It's just managing the church. It's just administrating the church. It's just, and that's part of it. It's part of it. But when it becomes the whole of it is when it becomes a problem, right? And so, so what Baxter's after is, what are your expectations? What are your desires? Are your desires to see the lost saved? Are your expectations that that Christians will grow in Christ and then will go with you to see the lost saved? And if those things become your expectations, then, you know, I mean, Baxter's not giving you a one for one. But at the end of the day, I mean, what he's saying is you you won't see fruit if those things are not your expectations. But if they are, then then go and see what the Lord will do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has strong words. He says the one who doesn't have those expectations preaches for himself. Yep. And not for Christ. Yep. However well he does it. And that's and that's not a light statement. Not at all. No, 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 no. Hmm. So Baxter continues. I know that a faithful minister may have comfort when he wants success. And though Israel be not gathered, our reward is with the Lord. And our acceptance is not according to the fruit, but according to our labor. But then he that longeth not for the success of his labors can have none of this comfort, because he was not a faithful laborer. What I say is only for them that are set upon the end and grieved if they miss it, 
Nor is this the full comfort that we must desire, but only such a part as may quiet us, though we miss the rest. What if God will accept a physician, though the patient die? He must, notwithstanding that, work in compassion and long for a better issue and be sorry if he misses it. For it is not merely our own reward that we labor for, but other men's salvation. I confess for my part, I marveled at some ancient reverend men that have lived 20, 30, or 40 years with an unprofitable people, Hmm. among whom they have scarcely been able to discern any fruits of their labors, how how they can, with so much patience, continue among them. Were it my case, though I durst not leave the vineyard, nor quit my calling, yet I should suspect that it was God's will, I should go somewhere else. And another come in my place that might be fitter for them, and I should not be easily satisfied to spend my days on such a manner. Oh, oh man, so especially to end there. So it's a thing that happens uh, in ministry as a pastor uh, when, when people don't respond to what you're doing, when it doesn't seem as though you're bearing any fruit at all. Um, one of the first questions that you're prone to ask is, is it time for me to leave? Is it time for me to go somewhere else? And that's what he's saying is no, 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 because the reward is, is not here, right? The reward is eternal. And if God has called you there, then stay. For goodness sake, stay. And so, so he, he ends with this illustration of people who've been 20, 30, 40 years in some place, right? With an unprofitable people among whom they have scarcely been able to see any fruits of their labors. And they continue among them. And he says, look, it'd be hard for me to stay. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you don't. Mm-hmm. It means you do. You know, I, I think sometimes we we are too quick to leave hard things. And that's because we don't really live very hard lives. And so when it gets hard, it's easy for us to think, man, you know, I go, it's time mm-hmm. to go do something else. And, and sometimes that hard could very easily be the the... The picture of God at work in you and in your in your community and in your church. And so he says, you stay. Yeah. I mean, I think many of our churches, part of what I do, um, not not for our church, but for lots of other churches, is to help them think through church decline. I can't tell you how many churches face decline for two reasons that are connected to this. Number one, if because the pastor gets frustrated and leaves. And so I was with a church not too long ago that in their 40-year history had had 36 pastors. Mm. And a church just can't become healthy that way. Mm. That's just not it. And and when you ask, you know, some some churches are prone to just go, well, we just had really bad luck. Look, you don't have bad luck 36 times. Like over 40 years. Over 40 years. You just don't. And, and so, so number one is the pastor gets frustrated, right? Or the pastor finds a bigger church or he finds a bigger paycheck and he goes, oh, oh, time to go. And off he goes. I can't say the Lord's not calling people to do that because I think that sometimes he does. But I think some, that he does that far less sometimes than people think. I think sometimes we try to disguise our own desires under the, under the veil of God's calling. God is calling me to do X, Y, Z. Or God's not calling me to do X, Y, Z. When you really could just say, I don't want to do that. Mm. Or this is what I want to do. 
Fine, say that. that that's okay. You know, yeah, at least more honest. Yes, yeah, let's at least be honest, right? But but the other side of this is not just the pastor that wants to leave; it's the church that wants to find a new pastor, mm-hmm. right? That there are these expectations. The church is going to earn X point. Church is going to achieve X thing, and then when these things happen, then that pastor must be the right guy. But if these things don't happen, well, then it's time to go. And either of these things, over the long term, just lead to a church not being healthy. And you know, I've. Been here, I've been here now eight and a half years, and I'm very thankful. That's never a conversation this church has had with me or about me, at least not one that I'm aware of. And uh, and I'm, I, I praise the Lord for that because long tenures matter. At eight and a half years, as far as I can tell, looking at the history of this church, which was started in 1929, I'm now the third longest tenured pastor here. How long do you have to go before you get the second? Uh, two more years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, it's it, there just hasn't been a history of pastors who stay, mm. and you know, let's be the generations that change that, right? Stick around. Like the grass really isn't greener mm. on the other side. The grass is greener. This is what Baxter saying. The grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you tend it, where you fertilize it, where you mm. take care of it, mm. right? Like we think if we think of that growth as just some kind of passive thing that we just happen to show up and hear, oh, look, beautiful green grass. <laughs> Whoever came up with that mm-hmm. idea has never tried to do any kind of landscaping. Mm-hmm. Because if you want <laughs> if you want green grass, you gotta work for it. Mm-hmm. Now you can have green weeds. That's oh, not what I'm talking about. But like a, a, a beautiful manicured lawn doesn't just stay that way. And so you've got to put the work in over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, that was that was a good section. Yeah. Yeah. You think we've got time for one more? We are. Next, one, next one's kind of short. Yeah, let's do it. Number 14. <clears throat> Our whole work must be carried on under a deep sense of our own insufficiency mm-hmm. and of our entire dependence on Christ. We must go for light and life and strength to him who sends us on the work. And when we feel our own faith weak and our hearts dull and unsuitable to do so great a work as we have to do, we must have recourse to him and say, Lord, wilt thou send me with such an unbelieving heart to persuade others to believe? Must I daily plead with sinners about everlasting life and everlasting death and have no more belief or feeling of these weighty things myself? Oh, send me not naked and unprovided to the work, but as thou commandest me to do it, furnish me with a spirit suitable thereto. Prayer must carry on our work as well as preaching. He preacheth not heartily to his people that prayeth not earnestly for them. Oh, come on. If we prevail not with God to give them faith, and repentance, we shall never prevail with them to believe in repentance. Mm. When our own hearts are so far out of order, and theirs so far out of order, if we prevail not with God to mend and help them, we are like to make but unsuccessful work. Woo! Mm. Okay. Yeah. Deep sense of our own insufficiency. Mm. I love that. I love that. I cannot tell you the number of times I've talked to guys thinking about ministry or guys that I wonder should be thinking about ministry. And you hear something along the lines of, well, I just don't feel like I can ever do that. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. 
Good. That probably means you're qualified. Right? I mean, there's a there's a measure. Of course you can't. What a ridiculous thing for us to say. You know, like, I mean, who, who could, I don't want, I don't want anyone to preach at our church who, when looking at the pulpit, thinks, I can do this. I, 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 no. Yeah. I, 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 can, I can take the words that God gave to humanity and just proclaim them among these people. I, I'm sure I've, I'm sure I've studied enough for, or have enough knowledge right. to be able to accurately. Oh, yeah. You know, it's what Paul says. Who is sufficient for these things? Yeah. And the answer is Jesus yeah. and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so I love how he connects that dependence on God to prayer, mm-hmm. right? That the reason we pray is because we are dependent on God to move. If God doesn't move, we accomplish nothing. And that doesn't mean we don't work. We do work, right? We work hard. We, we, that, that Baxter's already covered that. that. This is not a place for lazy folks, right? But but in that working, you realize, I cannot tell you, and I know you've been the same place. I tell you the number of times you walk in the door and you sit down and you listen to people and they pour their life out to you and they spill their guts and you go. How in the world? And I don't have a clue what I'm about to say. <laughs> I have no idea how to fix this. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've literally told people that before. I, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I, but I know the one who does. So let's pray. You know, I think we spend far too much time thinking that what people really want in a pastor is someone who has all of the answers and always knows what to do. Mm. The reality is, if they did want that, they would never, they should never expect that from pastors our age, your age or mine. <laughs> uh, I just have not had enough rotations around the sun mm. to, to be qualified for that at all. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, that's just the reality of the thing. You know, but even the older guys, you know, all of the old dudes that I know, love, and respect, every single one of them would say the same thing. The older you grow, the more you realize how much you need the Lord in this area. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not just our work, right? Like, yeah. that's anybody's work. So if you listen to this and you're not a pastor and you don't aspire to be a pastor, man, just recognize your dependence on the Lord. If you're doing your work in such a way that you don't feel your need and dependence on the Lord, you need the Lord. And 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 it will change the way you work at anything you're doing. And you begin to just acknowledge, man, I I, I need the Lord. I can't do this without it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, reading the section just takes me back to something that I have to constantly go back to, which is first Corinthians one. Mm-hmm. And the Lord chooses to use those that are not to shame those that are. He yeah. displays his power by taking the weak things of this world to put to shame the strong. Is made perfect in our weakness. That he uses the foolish things in this world to put the shame in our eyes. Absolutely. That he continually, continually chooses to use those that the world thinks are unqualified and, and uses them for his glory. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that I have I have to come back to that so many times. Yep. So, so often. Sure. To remind myself that I don't have to be qualified. Mm. In that sense, in that sense to do this work, I don't have to be—I don't have to be smart enough to do this work. I don't have to be experienced enough to do this work. I don't have to be—you know, pick it. I don't yeah. have to be those things right. to do this work. Right. My qualifications know, are First Timothy three. Yeah, right? the, the, the smart. <laughs> yeah, the scriptures have laid out the qualifications for being a pastor. If I meet those. That's all that the Lord requires. Yeah, and we live in a we live in a culture, and I, it's not new. It's not new to us. It's not new to our generation. But how many pastors 
go into their positions because they're smart or clever or attractive mm-hmm. or whatever, yeah. you know, and, and uh, charisma. charisma, you know, and when I read first Timothy three, I don't read any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, I, I read mostly the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that's most impressive about a pastor in first Timothy three is that he's not particularly impressive, but he is godly. Yeah. That's it. He's not terribly different than a deacon. Yep. They're apt to teach. That's it. That's the only differing characteristic. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, there you go. David, any closing thoughts? Oh, man. Just depend on the Lord. There you go. We're almost done with this section. We are. Sure enough. Next week, we'll finish section two of chapter two. Yeah. And then we'll go on to section three of chapter chapter two. All right. Well, thanks, friends. We appreciate the time that you spend listening to us. We enjoy doing this. We hope that you've gained from it. If you would, leave us a review. Feel free to share this on Facebook or any other form of social media for folks who may be looking for it. And we will talk again soon. Goodbye.